This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want you to take every single idea that you've ever had about revival. Are you ready for this? Every idea, every experience, everything that you've ever gone through with regards to the concept of revival, and I want you to throw it out the door. Okay, we good? So you have thrown it out the door. Because you know what I've come to the conclusion of in all my years of life? That it's sometimes it's the very word that hinders us. Because what we've done is we've created a concept in our mind that says, this is what it looks like, and this is what's going to happen. And if we just see this, then we know we're in revival, and we've got a completely messed up point of view when it comes to revival. Can I say this this morning? I've been in church my whole life. I've been in Pentecostal charismatic churches my whole life. And I have seen people describe revival in one way, and then in a different way, in a different way, in a different way. And I get to the point where I'm like, I don't really know if any of us really understand what revival is. Because what we've done is we've created a catchphrase or a catchword to describe something that at times is indescribable. Right? So we use the word revival. There's a reason why we're doing this, because I want to mess with your thinking. Okay? Uh, I hope it only messes with your thinking, but that it shifts you into a whole nother realm and a whole nother perspective about the hand and the call of God upon your life as an individual. Sometimes we've created within revivals is we've created these very special people that say, oh, those are revival people. Those are the preachers that can bring in revival. And I think it absolutely uh, disconnects us from the whole purpose and plan of God when it comes to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, revival, you name it, It disconnects us from its purpose. So, for some of you this morning, revival is a brand new word, and I'm actually really excited about that. One of the things that I I love about our church is that in the nine and a half years years that we've been here, we've attracted a lot of non-Christians. I love that. You know why? Because you don't have to unlearn anything. Sometimes the longer you've been in church, the more messed up you're thinking. Can I be honest? Because that was me. And we think to ourselves, hey, that's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got so many thoughts and so many philosophies and so many things that sound really, really good. But they're actually not scriptural at all. In any way. Zero. Zilch. Not a noodle if you've ever seen VeggieTales. Okay, here we go. For some of you, revival is a word that you're very familiar with. And if I can say this morning, it's for you I'm most concerned about. People who don't know what revival is, they just come in with, yeah, like puppy dog feet, I call it. It's like, yay, woohoo, yeah, woohoo, yeah, <laughs> yes, God, you're awesome, yay. But people who come in with this whole concept already baked out in your mind, you come in and you've already predetermined, without you knowing it, what you're going to see or what you want to have happen because you've already determined it in your mind what you're comfortable with. There's a word that Pastor Ray prayed over me in the, in the pre-service prayer that is just speaking to me right now, and it's this. We have, to, we have to break out of every containment. God is not in a box. So don't put God in a box this morning thinking He has to come this way, or He has to speak to you that way, or He's going to move like this, or He's going to move like that. When the book of Acts happened, when Acts chapter 2 happened, which we talked about for five weeks in November and December, 
when that book, uh, that Acts 2 experience happened, they had nothing to compare it to. Can I be brutally honest this morning? Are we good? These are some things that God's been speaking to me. Do you know what? There was never one reference in the entire book of Acts where they said, hey, if you guys just come back to the upper room revival. Yet that's what we do. If we just go there, if we just see, sing that song, if we just hear that preacher, if we just listen to that podcast, then we'll have revival. Uh-uh. The only person or anything that the disciples or the apostles referenced in the entire book of Acts and the Epistles was Jesus. i got to tell you about a man. He was on earth. You killed him. But that's okay. There's forgiveness. And they told everybody about this guy, Jesus, who could absolutely revolutionize their life. So I want to just start with just a couple of different concepts that we would naturally connect to when it comes to this word revival. The first one is something that we would all kind of relate to if we've been around church any length of time. It's this concept of a spiritual renewal or a reawakening uh, in the church, in a church concept. Okay, the second one is this, is the resuscitation of a person. So think CPR, think a defibrillator. It's bringing back to life. It's making that which was dead alive again. How many know that the church worldwide needs to be awakened? Okay? Some of us maybe this morning need to be awakened. Maybe we need the spiritual defibrillator on you this morning and see what happens. The third one is this. It's a new production of a previously produced work. Oftentimes we would understand that in the concept of theater or even television or movies. It's a, it's a revival of a TV show. It's a revival of an old play. And so we would understand that. For some of us, uh, we may know that as the second album of Selena Gomez, but I just wanted to see who responded, and then we'll pray for you after. Okay, all right, all right. Just looking around. Who was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm like, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But here's what I want to start with. Revival is, is a word that's not even found in the Bible. But you know what? Trinity isn't either. But we understand the effects of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the word revival is not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible in any of the canon where it says Revival. Now, in the Old Testament, it references the word revive, refresh. And, and interestingly enough, Psalm 119 actually ref, refers to that concept of revive uh, nine times. And it literally means to refresh, to revitalize, or to quicken your spirit, to quicken, to make ready. Uh, it talks about recovery of breath, to be alive again, or to give life. Psalm 80, it says, then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Psalm 119, verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. It's a coming back to its original purpose. In the New Testament, in the, New Testament the only word that's even remotely close that's referenced is in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And I'm going to read this verse to you. And it says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing. It's the only word that's really referenced in New Testament to give away that concept may come from the presence of God. Refreshing from the presence of God. But the first key was to repent. In other words, was to turn from your slumber, turn away from your complacency, your apathy, and turn wholeheartedly in devotion to God. Why? That's a reviving. That's a refreshing. That's a renewal. That's making what was dead alive again. Are we tracking here this morning? Okay, good. So, 
this word revival is really a catchphrase or a catchword that the church has put on something to describe the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or um, a reawakening of the church or a move of God. We don't really necessarily know what to describe it or what to call it, but that's where we've landed. Andrew Murray, uh, one of his classic books, he says this, A true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and life. That is revival. I love, I love that great definition. It's awesome. But we have to understand this morning what is always involved in revival, if we can use that word, just, just so we can track along together. Number one, you have to have the presupposition that the church has fallen away in order to be revived. So you have to come to the conclusion that something's wrong with you in order to desire it. We tracking? Right. So God cannot revive something that's already fully alive. But He can revive something that's dead. Alright? You know, like John 15, it talks about pruning off the old dead branches. God wants to prune us of stuff that is hindering that reviving, that revival, or that refreshing experience that we can have in our life. Second thing is this. Are you ready? Here's the fun part. This is my, one of my favorite lines in the whole message. Revival always leads to conviction of sin. Can I say from my experience, I have followed so many different moves of God, and the one that stands out to me for a very big reason is Brownsville. And I'm going to tell you, you can Google Brownsville revival, you can look it up after, and I'll tell you why it speaks to me. So many of the other moves of God are so focused on the concepts of renewal of a, of a believer, but Brownsville was all about repentance. The amount of people that came to Christ for the first time at Brownsville were off the charts. At the end of two weeks, they were already at 1,500 and counting, and they didn't know how to keep up with it. They turned into a moment where for over a year, they opened their doors every single day and every single night because they couldn't contain what God was doing. And the moment that was so significant is the moment these people would walk into their church or into this uh, Brownsville Assembly of God. They would walk into the church and there was count countless testimonies of people stepping across the threshold of the building and collapsing in repentance on the floor because they were overwhelmed by their sin. That is revival. Amen? It always involves a renewal of faith. It always involves an awakening of love for God. It always involves a breaking of the power of sin over your life. How many want that? It always leads to significant reformation, and ultimately it leads to societal transformation. The entire book of Acts transformed their society so much so that they kept spreading out. They kept extending the kingdom of God. I love Nancy DeMoss and how she describes it. She says this, Revival is not just an emotional touch, it's a complete takeover. It's a complete takeover. Not my will anymore. Not what I want to do. Not my plans, but yours, Lord. Some of you in this place this morning have been around church for a long time, and, and if I can maybe put words in your mouth, you're kind of sick and tired of playing church. And I say to you, amen to that. I am too. I want God to show up and move in such significant ways that it transforms us, but then it leads to something the moment we leave here. Amen. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, that's good. Here's a phrase that God's just dropped in my heart this week as I've been praying and processing. He said this, Christ can't get your attention, 
if he has to compete for your affection. Christ can't get your attention if he has to compete for your affection. He's a jealous God. (laughs) He wants the attention. He wants you to be focused on him. But I want to say this morning, before we kind of get into this diagram, what revival is not. Revival is not a miracle. Now, when God is moving, miracles happen, but revival is not a miracle. I've seen so many people that are just focused on a miracle. If God just does a miracle, then, then we've experienced God. No, you already have God with you. Revival is not a miracle. Revival is not a song. Revival is not a place. Now, can God move in specific times and seasons? Absolutely, I believe that. But God isn't a geographical, uh, revival is not a geographical location. It's not a manifestation. In other words, it's not an outworking of the Spirit of God in your life. It's not that, because that's, if I can say very confidently this morning, so much of our revival moments are actually behavioral conditioning. We act that way because that's how those people in that church that we went to act. Now, is some of it of God? Absolutely. I have laughed in the Spirit. I've, been fa- I've fallen down in the Spirit. I've shaken. I have... You name it, I've done it. Pastor Frank made fun of me this Thursday when he was here with the interns. He was like, oh, I remember all those moments. <laughs> I've had significant moments that have shaped my life. But if you think revival is a manifestation or an outworking of the Spirit of God in your life, then that's all you're going to be seeking. But there's so much more. Don't settle for something like that. Revival is not a feeling. Can I say something boldly this morning that will wreck your theology? Revival is not any of those things. Revival is a person. Jesus. Go, I don't understand. When Jesus came on the scene, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, John the Baptist had already been preaching, he'd already been baptized. Jesus comes on the scene, and he didn't show up and say, hey, let's pray for revival. Let's go to this revival meeting. And then everything will be transformed. If we just get to that place, then everything will be different. Think about the context of when Jesus came on the earth. 400 years of silence from God. John the Baptist broke the silence by declaring something very, very, very uh, powerful, yet not something that anyone wanted to hear. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus showed up, didn't say, let's go to a revival meeting that I'm starting down the street in the upper room. If you come at 7 o'clock, then you get blessed. If you don't come, you're not going to get nothing. Where's your commitment? No, he didn't do that. He showed up on the scene. He looked at the first group of people and said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It's here. So I want to mess with your theology. If you think that revival is a song, a place, a prayer meeting, a manifestation, a a, a feeling, or any of these things, that what we automatically do without recognizing it or knowing it is we actually contain the work of God by our own past experiences. And God is saying, break out of the mold. Break out of the box. 
When God, the kingdom giver, is on the inside, kingdom advancement happens. You don't get to predetermine how that happens. You just let God revive your heart and kingdom comes out. Are we tracking this morning? I'm sorry if I'm a little excited today. I just can't help myself. I've had three days. In the last three days, I'm like, honey, you may be carrying me in today. Because I have just been overwhelmed with what God wants to do. You know what I've realized in the last 25 years? Is there's a group of people that I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of this, but I just want to give a kind of context to it. There's a group of people that I call um, revival seekers. They're conference junkies. They're, they're, they go to everything, and they, they run here and run there and run everywhere. And unfortunately, in so many of their ideologies and philosophies, they actually have a, a very strong Old Testament thinking pattern. They don't understand New Testament. They say they do, but they actually, they actually live in an Old Testament mindset where it's about this you know, man of God or woman of God or this moment. And if I can say this morning, God wants to wreck our formula. He wants to wreck our formula. Revival is not something we should seek after, but receive. Kingdom is something that we don't hold on to, but release. Okay? Are we good? We're good. Last Sunday morning, Pastor Gary said a phrase that hit me and slapped me a couple of times, pat me over the head, you know, got my attention, highlighted it, wrote it down, put a big asterisk beside it, uh, got out every four-colored pen I could find and circled it in my notes. And he said, open heaven! And that is what I've been marinating on all week. And so, um, if you guys can, I want you to grab that sheet of paper that was passed out um, hopefully we had enough. I think we did. People in the back row seem to be holding one, so that's good. That's awesome. Here's what I want us to see this morning. I want, I want you to be stretched out of your revival thinking. And I want you to think bigger this morning. When Pastor Gary said, open heaven, I immediately saw this picture of a closed heart and a closed mind to the things of the Spirit. And it was like the open heaven would just bounce off that person. It would just bounce off that person. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 10 verse 12, that, or 12 verse 10, that we're to break up our fallow ground. We're to break up uh, that ground that's become hard. It's speaking about our heart, but how many know that over time, sometimes experiences and disappointment and regret actually lead to a place in our life where our heart becomes hardened. Not physically, although sometimes that happens too, but emotionally. We become calloused. We become jaded. We become bitter. We see everything as a glass half empty. That's how we see life. And oftentimes that's how we see God. But God says if you break up the fallow ground of your heart, if you actually allow God to to move and to speak to you and you respond to the voice of God by repentance by changing, by adjusting your life to the things that God has for your life, literally what happens is that very same verse says that the reign of His righteousness will continue to fall, and the reign of His righteousness is what will germinate the seeds that are stuck under that fallow ground. You know one thing I've realized in my life is that oftentimes our seeds of destiny or the call of God or our ministry, whatever terms you want to use, the seeds for those things are often hidden right underneath the fallow ground of our pain and disappointment. 
because it's the very thing God wants to use to get the enemy back once we're healed. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to make up your mind this morning that an open heaven is here. Can I declare to you this morning, we have an open heaven. It's not closed. It's not open 30%. It's 100% open. The windows of heaven are open. He wants to pour out such blessing. The Bible says that we won't have room enough to receive it. The windows of heaven are open. But what will block it is whether we have an open heart, an open mind. But here's one thing that I've been processing through this week. Most of us will kind of get to that level. We get to that level and we think that's good. We think that's awesome. We think, yes, Lord, open heaven. That's what we're praying for. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we're believing God for things. We are literally seeing an open heaven. We get to the point where we're going, yeah, 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 yeah. I got an open heart and I got an open mind. My mind is being transformed. My heart is open to whatever, that, uh, whatever God wants to do in my life. And we're good. But the problem is, and this is what happens with a lot of revival seekers, they stop here. And then everything becomes internal and self-focused. God, if you just pour out on me, and God, I want to just feel, and God, I want to feel, God, I want to feel. And I go, you can feel all day long because God's presence all around you. But he doesn't want to give you the happy feelers and then do nothing with it. So an open heaven leads to an open heart and an open mind. But once that gate is open, then God says, okay, there's three very specific things I want you to do. I want your mouth to open, your hands to open, and your feet to open. What does that mean? It means you're going to preach. You're going to prophesy. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pray for the sick. Your hands, it means you're going to provide. You're going to pray for the sick without you. You're going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And what does it mean to have open feet? It means you're going to be willing to go wherever God directs you. God, wherever you want. Over the next couple of months, I'm literally going to flesh all that stuff out and kind of go through different things. So don't, I'm doing an overview this morning, just so you guys know. But an open heaven, passed through an open heart and an open mind, will lead to kingdom advancement through our Mouth, our hands, and our feet. This is the call of God on our church right now. Not to just enjoy an open heaven. Not just to allow God to transform our heart and our mind. But to actually have the guts and the courage to go, you know what, if I do that, it may just work. <laughs> this is awesome. You know what I had to really get to the point in my life? is I had to be okay with batting 100. If you know baseball, if I'm 1 out of 10, it still means one person just got set free. Come on! But we decide everything based upon the 9 that didn't have an answer prayer. And yet Jesus says, I'll leave the 99 to chase after the 1. we got to chase after the 1. Even if it's that one moment, even if it's our 1 for 10 moment we got to do it. Because something is happening in the spirit over this church, over this city, over this nation, over this world. And there's a lost and dying people that are so confused, so full of life, so, so struggling with what's going on. And we as a church, not saying us, but for the church worldwide, have been silent. Some of us have even bought 
you know, our rapture shoes and our rapture bunker. And we're sitting in our bunker all day long going, oh, Lord, please come back today because I don't want to leave my house. There's such big bad people out there and there's some big bad ones that like to tweet. And Lord, they may hurt me. And I go, get out of your bunker. (laughs) This is not time to defend, but to take things on to the offensive. I'm sorry if I'm a little excited today. I can't help myself. But God's doing something here. So what does open heaven represent? It represents the presence of God. The tangible, weighty presence of God that can transform any situation. Can I say this? Whenever the presence of God is here, there's an atmosphere. And it's like you just step into an atmosphere and anything's possible. Right? How many have ever been around certain people in your life that they just make you feel like there's nothing you can't do? They just love me. They support me. They're cheerleading you on. They get their pom-poms. Oh, come on, Cameron. You can do it. Yay! Yeah, come on, team. Yeah, and I feel like I can do it until I get to the moment where I prayed for someone and nothing happens. And then it's that moment where I make up my mind. Am I going to close my mind to an open heaven? Ooh. Am I going to close my heart to an open heaven? Disciples come back. They said, Jesus, we saw people healed. That's awesome. We saw people raised from the dead. I'm telling you, I want to see one of those. I don't know about you. I'm waiting for one of those. I've seen a lot of other things. I've prayed for people. I've seen cancers healed. I've seen other things healed. But I want to see that. Can I get a witness? Come on now. But they come back, and Jesus looks at them and says, all right. They're like, aren't you excited? Went. Oh, just be thankful that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they were probably thinking to themselves, do you know what I just did? Like, it is all over the internet. Like, I have just gone viral. Like, there was a supernatural healing down at the Jordan River. It's gone viral. What are you doing? And Jesus is like, that should be so normal that we don't have to get so excited about it. That's just normal. We get excited and long for revival because it's abnormal. We had a chance to talk with Pastor Gary and Sheila for six days, and he just kept telling story after story after story of what's happening in Asia. It's crazy. But you know what he kept coming back to? He says, Cam, you know what what they're doing? He says, it's simple. They're desperate. They got no other option. It's Jesus or Jesus. They don't have plan B. Plan B is never them. They don't have anything else. Because they're desperate, things happen. Amen? We good? No one's thrown anything at me yet. This is awesome. Okay. But here's where we often stop. Presence leads to an atmosphere. And whenever we're in an atmosphere, and I think we could all say this, whenever there's an atmosphere of God's presence, the first thing that we often do is reflect. There's a reflecting period. We reflect and we almost bask in the presence of God and we reflect on who He is. And as a result, we reflect on who we are. And then we start to look at it and we go, I don't know if I'm tracking with where He's tracking. I don't know if my life lines up with where His life lines up. I I don't know if these things are connecting. There's an alignment issue. And what happens next is very simple. 
That reflection leads to this concept, which is the second level. Open heart, open mind is revival. The revival process is the opening of your heart and the opening of your mind. How do I know? Because whenever I look back at what God's done in my life over the last 25 years, and I talk about the heebie-jeebie moments, I actually don't spend a long time thinking about that as much as I think about the fruit that came out of it. God touched my life. God transformed my thinking. God took me going this way, and He got me going that way. There's an open heart. There's an open mind. Revival leads to awakening. That's what revival is. It's an awakening. And what's the whole point of revival? That we would repent. Jesus shows up on the scene. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. The disciples, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. The apostles, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. We hear that word and we get scared. We're like, ah, you know, another another guy talking about repentance and they're just putting a mirror. I want you to know something today. If the only thing you can see is how you're not connected to the plan of purposes of God and you get discouraged by that, I want you to take your eyes off of yourself for a second and put it on the one who has the ability to transform an open-hearted, open-minded person to such a degree you cannot even figure out what he wants to do in your life. In high school, I know I've shared this story before, but for those that are new, in high school, we would do these five-minute class presentations and no one could find me. I was praying for a rapture moment that never happened. I was like, Lord, rapture in 1988, please, Jesus. That guy was talking about it. It must happen now. And of course, another guy talked about 1992. You know, anyhow, that's a topic for another day. But I would literally be hiding in a bathroom stall either throwing up or so scared out of my mind. I'm like, God, I can't do this. God, I, I, I can't speak in front of people. And then when I was finally forced to do it, I would stutter constantly. And I would have a red face. Mom, you remember my face would go red, beat red. And I'd be like shaking and I'd get all clammy. And I'm like, I think I'm about ready to die. <laughs> so I've had a near-death experience. I saw things flash before me because I couldn't do it. But the only thing I said when I was 22 years of age is God was working on my heart to open and my mind to open. The only thing I said was yes. Yes. God, I don't understand it. Yes. This feels really cool. Yes. What am I doing, son? Dealing with my sin. Oh, I don't like that. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. God, just take it. Oh, this is awesome. Can I say, there's a burden you carry in sin that just really sucks. Can I just be honest this morning? Okay? It just is awful. The moment you repent, it lifts off. No more burden. No more regret. No more shame. Now, He's reviving your heart, and now he's reviving your mind, and everything is changing. But it doesn't stop there. Can I say this morning, if we don't go to the third step, we run the risk of becoming presence keepers, revival seekers, 
when God has called us to be kingdom reapers. I've been in church my whole life, guys. Listen to me here for a second. I've seen people that are in the presence-keeping camp where they just want to keep the presence of God all to themselves. And they just want to go from meeting to meeting to meeting and just get the presence of God and just take it and get it. It's awesome. And I've seen people that are just revival seekers. They're just constantly seeking for these open heaven experiences and these open mind experiences, the open heaven. And it's like, it's awesome, it's great, but then it stops there. God didn't call us just to be presence keepers or or revival seekers, but he's called us to be kingdom reapers, to reap the harvest that Jesus paid the price for. Why? Because Jesus is revival. Jesus is the presence. Jesus is the revival. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus is all three. Okay? The kingdom leads to activation. And activation because we rule. I want to take you back a long time ago. Genesis chapter 1. Humankind is made. Adam and Eve, there, we're all good. We're tracking. And God gives, a, God gives a massive statement. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. And he says, you will have dominion. 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 You will subdue the earth. You will have dominion. Why could they do that? Because they lived in the presence of God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. That's pretty cool. They didn't need step two to be revived because they were in the presence. The only reason revival is necessary is because the church has gotten away. Right? So, activation leads to rulership. When we have dominion or rulership, think about this for a second. When you are a student and you've been given an assignment, you have rulership over that assignment. How many have ever allowed someone else to do something for you? How many know it never works out? You have rulership over that assignment. In other words, what you put into it, the ownership that you take for that assignment, is gonna, you're going to see it spit back in the end. If you're working, you're putting ownership or rulership into the job that you do. I hope you do it well. Right? The way that we parent our children, we have rulership or ownership over our children. I don't mean this in a wacky way, but just, to, just track with me for a second. There's a dominion sense. We care for, we protect, we look out for. We take care of that which we have dominion over. I'm going to skip to... Uh, just this one quote, I want to find it. I don't know where it is, but I'm going to find it here because it's awesome. It's from Bill Johnson. It says this. Oh, here it is. What a person values, they will protect. God will give us the measure of his presence that we are willing to jealously guard. I love that. But we're called to protect. But presence leads to revival, which leads to kingdom activation. And where most of us get stuck is we get stuck on the first two. We can't get past that, and we don't see the third. As I was praying this week, I just had this really kind of cool thoughts that have kind of come to me in the last 48 hours. And as I started to see open heaven, open heart, and open mouth, and all of those levels, I started to see the, the, the Trinity at work. The Father is, was all about the presence. That's why he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It's, it was about presence being restored. And interestingly enough, we understand that there's three uh, kind of uh, activations of God in the world. He's omnipresent. How many want him in your life, involved and working in your life and in your situation? I love David. He says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? You see that on your sheet. But the father longs to see an open heaven over his children. The father longs to see his omnipresence in effect and and everywhere that he is, he's, that's never going to stop, but he wants to see that 
permeating our lives. Interestingly enough, it's the Son that came, paid the ultimate price so that He could change our heart and change our mind. Ezekiel talks about it from changing from a heart of uh, a stone to a heart of flesh. He talks about renewing the heart. Interestingly enough, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he also says that we have the mind of Christ. In other words, when God comes, the work of the Son, His omniscience is to transform our thinking. I think part of the problem that we have when it comes to revival is that we've, we've lowered our expectations or we've, we've, um, we've kind of dumbed it all down to such a simple thing, but God wants to expand our thinking to think about what God can do with a surrendered heart. When God has a surrendered heart, anything is possible. But the third thing is this. It's the Spirit of God and the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful God. I love Acts 10.38. It talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, the ability to change things. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I want to say this morning, I think my goal today is very simple. I want you to see beyond what you've seen before. I want you to think bigger with regards to this whole concept of revival in a way that maybe you've never seen before. The ultimate purpose of revival is not one thing, but this whole thing. This whole thing. Open heaven, touching an open mind and an open heart, leading to an open mouth, an open hand, and an open feet. That is the heart of God. I want to, I wanna, in a sense, end with a, a thought here. Leonard Ravenhill, who, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's written a ton of books and a lot of lectures and smart sermons on revival, but he said this, my main ambition in life is to be on the devil's most wanted list. That's my main ambition in life. I, I think that's awesome. But I want to end with a thought. Um, Bethany, for those that may know or may not know, was a little tiny town two miles outside of Jerusalem. And if we all know in kind of historical figures, and even today, Jerusalem is the hotbed for everything. We see that even today. The decision by the U.S. to change their capital and move it to Jerusalem has obviously created a firestorm. There's been a whole bunch of things. But what we're seeing is that there's significance in the city of Jerusalem. But Bethany is this tiny little town two miles outside of Jerusalem that's actually on the side of the Mount of Olives. So it actually overlooks Jerusalem. It's on the Mount of Olives. And when you look in Scripture, there's actually five different incidences or moments that actually take place in this little town called Bethany. And Bethany, for so many uh, people, it seems to be so insignificant. I mean, some of you may think, well, Kingston's pretty insignificant. But God loves Kingston. God saw something very special about this little town called Bethany. Bethany literally means the house of song. I think that's cool. I love songs. That's awesome. It was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was the home of Simon the leper who had hosted Jesus when Mary had broken uh, an alabaster flask of oil over Jesus. It was the place that he stayed for the last six days before he died. So it was his haven of rest from the storm that he knew was coming. Um, interestingly enough, it was the place that he stood as he ascended off the earth. He was on the side of the Mount of Olives, right in Bethany. The place that had not only treated him as a guest of honor, not only gave him a place to dwell, 
not only uh, worshipped him with total abandonment, but it was also the place where Jesus responded, and it was the place in John 17 where it literally says he wept over Jerusalem. As he looked at Jerusalem, he was standing in Bethany, and he wept over the city. Huge. But I want to end with one thought. I saved the best for last. John chapter 11 is the most famous example of Bethany. And it was a situation that happened where his best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died. Interestingly enough, there were servants that had been sent ahead to Jesus and his disciples and said, Lazarus is unwell, you need to come, you need to come. And Jesus' response was, it's okay, you know, yeah, we'll get there whenever we get there. Can you imagine if you're dying and Jesus as a pastor said, yeah, I'll get there whenever. I haven't done that yet. Thank you, Jesus. And I won't do that. But I just thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah, I'll get there sometime. And his response then was basically, listen, um, it's okay. The glory of God's going to show up and you'll see God's, God move. It's like, okay. Turns out, Lazarus dies. Word comes through Martha to Jesus. You need to come, you need to come. He's, he's asleep, she says. Jesus comes. He runs down. He comes to the, to the, to the town of Bethany and he comes with his disciples and he finds Martha, and he finds Mary, and he finds all these women crying. And the and Bible literally says that for four days he was dead. So we just want to confirm once and for all he was really dead. wasn't one of those he just died, and three minutes later he comes back. You know what I'm saying? He was really dead. As a matter of fact, when they opened the tomb, they knew he was really dead because it stunk. So the corpse was already rotting in the Israeli heat. He's wrapped in grave clothes. Jesus comes up, and he yells out, Lazarus, which means God the helper, prophesying of the Spirit of God coming in Acts chapter 2, to be the helper, says, Lazarus, come forth. And then a scene happens that is actually prophesying of a scene that's going to happen about a month and a half from then. A stone is rolled away. Ever heard of this one? A stone is rolled away, and that which was dead comes alive. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus today is not just interested in speaking resurrection life over you. Resurrection life is the open heaven. Resurrection life is awesome. But he didn't stop there. They brought him out, and then he said another statement. Loose him and let him go. Loose his heart and his mind from any bondage and let him go extend the kingdom. Open heaven led to an open heart and mind, which led to an open mouth, an open hand, and an open foot. Loose him and let him go. I believe the word over us as a church this morning is not just to say enjoy an open heaven. It's not just to enjoy level two with an open heart and an open mind. But it's to pick up the baton that Jesus passed to us 2,000 years ago. To take what God is doing to revive our hearts for him and be on mission. To touch every single life that we come in contact with. Could you imagine if we wake up every morning and our mindset is, God, 
give me somebody to talk to, to pray for, to minister to today. And every day we're not going to go to bed until we find them. Can you imagine how quickly churches would be overflowing with people? We'd have, we wouldn't have room enough to receive it. That's what God wants to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.